safer. Don't have to worry about, uh, you know, it making it to the elections department. Via mailbox and via Dropbox. We did see a big spike in requests, so that's really where uh, we thought the election was going to fall. Two-thirds of South Florida voters mailed it in. There has been no changes in any policies with regard to election mail. Attention turns to November. We're going to be running against Trump. The nonpartisan race for a Miami-Dade mayor is anything but. The world loves an underdog, right? Broward County loves an underdog. Can a Republican replace the Broward Sheriff? Big races, big changes. It's all this week, this week in South Florida. Good morning, welcome, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. A lot on our post-primary play today, though first, Brandon Orr is here for a quick update on what we might be in for from Tropical Storm Laura today. Brandon, two of them out there, huh? I know, two of them so close together, back to back. Can you believe that? Well, it's 2020, of course you believe it. Marco is in the middle of the Gulf right now, expected to make landfall late tomorrow night. That's probably going to be somewhere around Louisiana, and especially in southeastern Louisiana, around New Orleans. And then they have less than 48 hours to get ready for possible impacts from Laura. And we're going to see some impacts from that as early as later on tonight. 11 a.m. advisory has this with maximum sustained winds at 50 miles per hour. Recon found some slightly higher winds, so that's why it was upgraded from 45 miles per hour. If you watched this a little bit earlier this morning for moving directly over mountains that are 10,000 feet tall in Dominican Republic, this is looking remarkably healthy. Uh, you would think that it would look a little bit more ragged, but it's been surviving fairly well. You can see the circulation with it that has now emerged offshore. So the center is now over water at least for a short time until it moves across Cuba. So the track really has not changed much. It maintains its strength as a tropical storm moving across Cuba. For us, a few spotty showers today turns over to more of those rain bands that kind of move through on the fringe of the storm system. So there's going to be lots of sun in between with some heavy rain at times, and that's where we get some of the stronger wind gusts. It's already a little breezy out there. 15 to 20 miles per hour sustained winds. Peak wind gusts tomorrow, 40 to 45 miles per hour in Miami-Dade and Broward. We can handle that just fine. In the Keys, where we have a tropical storm watch in place, 50 to 55 miles per hour. That's kind of how we break down in terms of the wind. So we're definitely dodging this one, guys. Brandon, thanks so much. This week's pandemic primary made history, a record turnout and shifting logistics in the face of unprecedented challenges. Some election results elected candidates outright and others had set up high stakes races for November. Today, we are going to present you some of the key runoff candidates. But first, we want to hear from the election supervisors in Broward and Miami-Dade, the two people responsible for planning and pulling off Tuesday's primaries almost glitch-free. Christina White is the election supervisor in Miami-Dade. Pete Antonacci is, holds that job in Broward. They're joining us live via Skype. Good morning to both of you. Welcome. Good morning. Hey. Did you get some sleep? <laughs> Plenty of sleep. Not yet. Ready, <laughs> ready, you're so, ready for November. Yeah, I know. No, Peter, you, you were up and counting already, right? Yesterday, since yesterday. So what I want to talk about first, though, um, we need to kind of do a Monday morning quarterbacking. I guess this would be a Sunday morning quarterbacking. Christina, let's start with you. Um, the, the story is the turnout uh, and an unprecedented number of mail-in ballots and the, the vote in person too. do some quarterbacking for us. What what did you learn? 
Well, we had a very successful election here in Miami-Dade. I'm very proud of my team at the Elections Department. Uh, you know, planning an election under the um, <clears throat> pandemic was no easy feat, but we certainly did it. But the best news, as you said, is we had record turnout. We had almost 424,000 people vote. So for a primary election, that is unprecedented. Um, and uh, as I predicted, over 60% of our voters voted by mail. We knew that was probably gonna be the case going in because of the pandemic. And uh, we were able to serve them very well. And thankfully the feedback both from our vote by mail voters and those who went in person all have been very positive and we feel that we had a great election. Uh, Pete Antonacci, you got a nice attaboy from the Sun Sentinel, which early on had expressed a little skepticism because you were put into that job by Governor Ron DeSantis. But uh, anyway, congratulations also from us for a, a very nicely done, well-run election. I guess the question would be how many of the votes in Broward, I forget there were, what, close to uh, 370,000 something? Uh, 317. 317. How many were mail-in? 213,000 were mail-in, so about two-thirds, which is what we the budgeted for, what we predicted, uh, and what we structured this one our on innovation and entrepreneurship. But that's a lot of mail-in ballots for both Miami-Dade and Broward. 30 years ago, the first software for the worldwide web was I'm not quite sure if our viewers are hearing a little feedback. If so, uh, apologize for that. We heard it in our ear, but uh, we'll try to ignore that little technical glitch. Peter, there were... Um, the, the little glitch that we heard about was platform uh, that was designed of the to be open sinks, Coconut Creek and Lighthouse Point and Tamarack, for a time ran out of ballots. How, how does that happen? What, what happened there and, and what was done to correct it? Oh, uh, the way typically the you, you order ballots for election day is look at the past, uh, average out the past before. Pete, we apologize and apologize to our viewers. We've got a little audio problem. We're going to fix it, so don't go anywhere. Uh, Christina, I, I know that you had um, 3,512 mail-in ballots, <clears throat> voter-by-mail ballots, that were not cured at the Elections Department. 3,512, that's a sizable number. Explain what is a ballot which was a veil and ballot that was not cured. Value to our country. So it is an absolute requirement that a voter sign and garages, the vote by and our ballot, testament and to our core values as a country. match the signature that we have on file for and continue this Because when you go in person, we are verifying that it is in fact you that came to vote by the photo ID that you have with you. So Florida law says that the way that we're going to verify that it was you that returned your vote by mail ballot is to compare that signature. Well, the good news is that we are able to contact you in advance if we get your ballot and it has one of those deficiencies. And it provides the voter an opportunity to cure it. You do have to fill out an affidavit and get it back to us. So those voters would have all been notified by mail. If we have your email address, your, your mobile number, all means of communication to you to tell you that your ballot is going to be rejected if you do not fix this. Unfortunately, those voters did not react by the deadline to cure their ballot, and therefore the canvassing board does not have yeah. any other option other than to reject them. So what happens, though, when somebody mails in their ballot, it lands at the elections department by deadline but needs to be cured, and there's really no time prior to the cure deadline two days later to notify 
the voter to cure it. What happens to those votes? Are those the 3,000 votes? Is that, is that the situation with those? Well, they, they, those ballots could have come in at any point, right? Um, we notify the voter right away of that deficiency. And so the message for November is don't <coughs> wait. If I have your request already in right now, we're mailing your ballot to you 33 days prior to the election. Vote the ballot, get it to us as soon as possible so that we have time to notify you and you have time to react. So these people could have been ballots that came in early on or, you know, as you said, on election day. But the later you wait, the less time you're going to have to correct it. So that's my big message going into November. Do not wait. Get your ballot in the mail to us as soon as possible. You know, we heard something very similar. Peter Antonacci, on your phone call this week, that's exactly the message that you were saying. Um, and that was just prior to the vote. So, no, actually, it wasn't. It was right after the vote. This week right. has just been a blur. But <laughs> what have you learned based on the incoming mail, the votes by mail, and then the deluge in person? <laughs> what are your concerns for November based on that? Uh, the uh, uh, quality of procrastination that seems to be embedded in the human race. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, urging people, uh, as, as Christina has done, to get your ballot in quickly. You know, the interesting thing for us uh, was that on Election Day, we received about 4,000 ballots um, that were delivered by hand uh, at our two collection sites uh, and uh, about 10,000 by mail, uh, both at Opelika and in our local uh, post office here in Broward. Uh, so people were um, people were willing to um, uh, get out of their cars and come and uh, deliver their uh, ballots personally, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, people are taking the initiative, but I wish they wouldn't wait till the last day. Yeah, uh, Pete, uh, let's look forward to November 3rd. If you got essentially 14,000 mail-in ballots on Election Day, uh, goodness, what is it going to be like uh, on November 3rd? if we get something like a 70% voter turnout. You've got, what, 1.2 million voters in Broward. Right. I, I'm, we're likely to receive between five and 600,000 vote-by-mail ballots. Um, and that means either they're going to come in through the post office or come in through one of the drop boxes. Uh, same situation, you have to process them. Uh, we're going to be running double shifts. And uh, last week before uh, November 3rd, we'll probably be running shifts around the clock uh, to get those ballots processed, signatures checked, opened, and tabulated. It, it's it's going to be a big, big task, but uh, uh, we believe we're ready for it. Is there some sort of resource, and I, and I want to pose this to you, Peter and Christina, too, is there resource, money, man and woman power, uh, materials, is there anything you feel like you don't have right now that you will need for the November election? Me first. Me first. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, hardware and resources uh, and that sort of thing, our, our county commission has been generous and uh, we have the capability of going out on the street and hiring temporary workers, which is what we'll need. We hired uh, 380 janitors. Uh, on election day last Tuesday to be available at the in-person voting site so they could clean the place. Every time someone voted, they would clean the privacy booths. So we have the money. Uh, it's going to take some organization and some elbow grease uh, to get it done. Well, I want to say to both of you, uh, we have both, uh, Glenna and I have 
covered elections in South Florida, in Florida for many, many years. We have seen the elections where it was Florida and hanging chads and all that. So for running uh, two very efficient, uh, good elections, we thank you. We congratulate you. And hey, Michael, can I call an audible here for a moment? We didn't let Christina answer that question. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Christina, it's, go it's, for it. It's been one of those technical mornings. Christina, what do you need <laughs> in November? I, too, am very fortunate. I have the great support of the Board of County Commissioners and also the Miami-Dade County Government Administration to support me in, in all ways. So uh, we were able to buy additional equipment that we felt was necessary to keep up with the increase in vote-by-mail volume. So I feel in very good shape and ready to serve our voters well come November. That's great to hear. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us. Big job ahead, and we will be hounding you for answers all the way through. Come on down. <laughs> thank, thank you. All right, next, the Miami-Dade race premier is going to come down to political opposites. One of those candidates is Daniela Levine-Cava. She is going to join us next. From a field of six candidates, the race for Miami-Dade mayor was narrowed this week to two finalists, Esteban Steve Bovo and Dan excuse me, Daniela Levine-Cava, each wound up with 29% of the vote. And not only were they separated by less than half a percent, they present two starkly different visions for Miami-Dade's future. We look forward to having Steve Bovo with us right here today. Daniela Levine-Cava joins us as the campaign ramps up for November. Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Good morning, Commissioner. Uh, let's begin with the partisan issue. You are a progressive Democrat. Steve Bovo is a conservative Republican. And while this is a nonpartisan office, both of you seem to be running as you as a Democrat, he as a Republican. What's going on here? Well, I want to be very clear. I am focused on the work ahead. I'm very proud to have support across both sides of the aisle and independence as well. And I'm going to stay focused on the issues that are affecting us here in Miami-Dade County and uh, regardless of party affiliation. So in the next two and a half months, I'll be bringing my vision and my plan to the people and I'll hope for their strong support once again. Let's talk a little bit about the horse race here. Um, Alex Pinellas, former Miami-Dade mayor, he came in third. That surprised a lot of a lot of people just based on the amount of money that he spent and his name recognition. He is a Democrat. Uh, right now, the field, as it played out, 42% of voters did not vote for either you or Steve Bovo. So there's, there's a big pot of voters out there. And Alex Pinellas, the third vote getter, had said on a Spanish language radio program this week that he could see himself supporting Steve Bovo. Um, you know, where do his voters go? Does, does that surprise you based on his party and his philosophies? And what do, you, what do you make of that? Well, I've spoken to him at length and about his concerns, and I share his concerns about the future of the county and some ideas, and I'm hoping that I'll have his support going forward. Can you detail some of that? What, what was that conversation like? What what kind of issues did you talk right. about? Right. Well, of course, we know that he has a particular focus on mental health issues because of his family's sad experience, and I share that concern. So he has some very specific ideas that I'm going to uh, explore and uh, see if we can't move forward. And uh, also on the transit system. You know, clearly, we were both in favor of the train going south. We know that the public 
was uh, hoping for, had voted for, more trains, and I'm going to see what I can do as well to push harder for the train coming south, which we know we need, as well as north and on the other corridors. Uh, Daniela, let's talk about a really important issue, I think, in this campaign is how you are perceived politically by uh, the electorate. Uh, we know you, I know you for the last uh, nearly 40 years in Miami-Dade as a social services executive, a lawyer for the poor and the underprivileged. Uh, you have devoted your life and career to that uh, in this campaign and also as a commissioner for the last six years. Steve Bovo says there is a leftward tilt on the county commission uh, that is pushing it too far to the left and he essentially says, that's you. Are you trying to move government to the left? You know, I've been 40 years, as you say, fighting for the people in this community. I've been very close to our neighborhoods throughout Miami-Dade County. I'm going to continue to be that person. Right now, we are facing a hopeful recovery from this COVID pandemic. We need to get our health under control and we need to reboost our economy. I have focused on small businesses as a commissioner. I've created uh, an incubator, a small business academy. I'm going to bring that countywide. We must focus on taking care of our health, getting this COVID under control, and then providing the safety, the uh, mentoring, the uh, access to capital, uh, innovation that our small businesses need. Yeah, that is my if, focus. If I, if I can just follow up, uh, not too long ago on the county commission, you tried to move forward a uh, resolution or an ordinance that would have provide paid sick leave seven days for the contractors uh, who are county county contractors, employees, and Steve Bobo and other commissioners who are more conservative uh, squashed that attempt. And Steve Bobo is citing that as an example of uh, of how you are too liberal for Miami-Dade. What is your response? 80% of the American people believe in paid sick. Federal government mandates it for contracts. Our county contractors are the security officers. They're the maintenance staff. They're the private bus operators. They were forced, they are forced to go to work sick because they do not have paid sick time. And this is terrible and the best of times in a pandemic is illogical and poses a huge public health risk. I think the public is with me on this. I don't see anything uh, other than this is a mainstream position. Daniela, to, to your point, the, the COVID issue and the spending and the public health aspect has really taken over public life and, and the mayoral race as well. And I want to sort of continue Michael's line of questioning because although this is a, a nonpartisan race, this is going to be a very partisan race as, as it's playing out as we're talking about. And Steve Bovo even has on his uh, lawn signs the conservative vote. And, and he is a fiscal conservative and a fiscal watchdog, both in what he talks about and what he has done. You are often the two of you on opposite sides of spending and development votes. He has gone on the record to say he will not be raising, advocating raising property taxes despite costs of COVID and what's to come in the budget crunch. Would you make that same pledge or, or what is your perspective on that? I have made that pledge. Clearly, people are suffering. This is the time we need to focus on helping people get through. 
Uh, fortunately, we have the federal CARES Act dollars. He tried to block CARES money going to assist people with their housing needs. I mean, this is not paying attention to the voice of the people. This is really out of touch and out of step with the people's struggles right now. And that is where I will focus. We, this is my whole life, is helping people improve their standard of living, uh, be part of the American dream, step up into the middle class. That is where I focus my energy for 40 years. And as mayor, I'll continue to make sure that people can recover economically and health-wise. Yeah, uh, Daniela, in about 30 seconds, it's a complex issue, but we hear this cry, defund the police. Your opponent, Steve Bovo, essentially is saying, yeah, uh, Daniela Levine-Cava is in favor of defunding the police. Are you? Certainly not, and I've been very clear. And every year that I was in office, I supported an increase in the police budget. We brought 80 additional police officers to South Dade. I've brought a new police station and the planning for South Dade. I've restored the uh, agricultural patrol to full-time staffing. Uh, I'm all about neighborhood policing, solving crimes. Public safety is first. And I am a, a consistent and reliable supporter of making sure that our, our public is safe. Daniela Levine-Cava, candidate for Miami-Dade mayor. Great to have you this morning. Thank and you. Uh, be an interesting couple months. Yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and we, Daniela, invite you and Steve Bovo to come back close to Election Day, have a good old-fashioned debate, maybe not in the studio, but virtually, but hope you'll do that. Absolutely. Ready when you are. Thanks so much. For more than four decades, Broward County has had the same top prosecutor, Mike Satz, but that is going to change this year. Next, meet one of the candidates for Broward State Attorney, fresh off a primary win. Stay tuned. Just a quick update to our last segment. Just a couple of minutes ago, a candidate for Miami-Dade mayor that did not make the runoff, Alex Pinellas, texted to want to, he wanted to make a clarification to something mentioned here about what he had said on Spanish language radio. And Alex Pinellas wants to put out there that he has not decided whether or not to endorse or support either of the two candidates just yet. All right, so let's move on to Broward County and the state attorney's race. Big changes are coming to the Broward State Attorney's Office after 44 years. The state attorney since 1977, Mike Satz, is not running for re-election. And in this crowded Democratic primary, Margate attorney Harold Pryor Jr. won a narrow victory and will face Republican former prosecutor Greg Rossman in November. Harold Pryor joins us live this morning from Margate. Thanks for joining us and uh, congratulations so far. <laughs> thank you so much. Good morning to you all and thank you for having me. We are glad you are here. Mr. Pryor, I read through on your website uh, a statement of principles, guiding principles that you will uh, enact if you are the Broward State Attorney and the, you are the odds on favorite. One of them said that you are opposed to the death penalty um, and that's certainly a viable uh, philosophical position. I happen to share it for what it's worth. But as state attorney, you would certainly uh, have heinous crimes committed, which call for the death penalty. What are you going to do in those situations? Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I personally am against the death penalty. But I do acknowledge that when I'm sworn in, and we believe that we're going to win, and I hope that we do win in November, that when, I when I'm sworn in as the next state attorney, I will swear to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the state of Florida. And with that said, I have to lay my personal beliefs aside 
and have to view every case on a case-by-case basis and make the appropriate decision. And there are some heinous crimes for which the death penalty was designed for. And as state attorney, I will have to follow the law. That is up to the legislature to make that change to the law. And if they ask me and they need me to advocate to to change that law, um, I'll be one of the advocates uh, on the front row um, actually asking that we change that law. But as for now, um, if I'm elected as the next state attorney, I will follow the law as is, and I will look at each case on a case-by-case basis. Harold, you come to this candidacy uh, with a platform of ground-level criminal justice reform. I wonder if you would detail for us what that might mean. And and what was wrong with the reforms that Mike Satz has put into office recently? Well, first and foremost, I want to say, I, I want to thank Mike Satz for his 44 years of service. Um, that's a long time of serving the Broward County community, and I applaud him for his service. Uh, when I talk about ground-level criminal justice reform, it's two-part, it's twofold. So I say that I want to initiate ground-level criminal justice reform while not compromising the safety of our communities. What does that mean? That means us instituting or initiating criminal justice reform, but being sure that we do it reasonably and prudently and that we don't compromise the safety of our communities. I've said oftentimes, and I'll say it again, that it doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter if you grew up in Lighthouse Point, Hollywood, Cistrunk, Pompano Beach, Deerfield Beach, no matter where you grew up, race, color, or creed, we all want safer communities. And I truly believe that I'm the right person to ensure that we initiate this ground-level criminal justice reform that we've been talking about. It's been talked about on the macro level or on the national scale, but very rarely do we really understand that this criminal justice reform that we've been talking about for the last three, four years really is initiated on the ground level. And we need state attorneys and law enforcement officers to enact it uh, reasonably and prudently. So what, practically speaking, what would that look like, for example? Well, under Harold Pryor administration, that would look like us not prosecuting uh, low-level drug offenses. I think we would follow the model in Miami-Dade. Uh, we won't prosecute misdemeanor-level uh, possession of cannabis cases. Uh, we'll focus on rehabilitative and, 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 and uh, problem-solving courts regarding uh, therapeutic treatment with those that have drug addiction issues and mental health issues. But also, that is us working hard to eradicate the school-to-prison pipeline and holding law enforcement uh, accountable for misconduct. Uh, Mr. Pryor, in fact, in your statement of principles, you're talking about one of them is eradicating the school-to-prison pipeline, and you talk about sort of early prevention programs for kids, not waiting until they have committed a, uh, a serious act of misbehavior. Uh, but how do you find those kids, and is it the state attorney's job to identify those young men or women who need prevention programs. Thank you. Look, I'll be the first to agree with you that a lot of the functions, a lot of things that go on in our society aren't the responsibility of the state attorney. But I truly believe that a state attorney should serve as a liaison uh, between law enforcement and the community. It's nowhere in the Constitution that says that. But I truly believe that the first time that a child sees a prosecutor or a person sees a prosecutor should be in the courtroom. You should have interactions with them in the school system, um, in the community. And so I'm dedicated to working with stakeholders, bringing everyone into the fold and ensuring that we reach out to our youth and we keep them out of the system. And we develop more programs to keep them out of the system, to give them positive uh, reinforcements and images of prosecutors and law enforcement officers. 
Would you um, frame for us, if you would, there is so much attention now on racial disparity in this post-George Floyd world that we're living in, and appropriately so. Focus on racial disparities and all kinds of social structures. Do you believe that there is one in the Broward State Attorney's Office at the moment? And, and detail that for us. I believe it, it, it's, it's definitely ingrained in the fabric of the criminal justice system, no matter where you go. It doesn't have to just be exclusive to Broward County, South Florida, but throughout the country. And I truly believe, and I'm a big proponent of racial and implicit bias training. Um, I believe that racial and implicit bias training, it, it, it targets those people who don't have ill intentions or an evil heart, or even state that they're racist, but there are certain institutions that influences our prejudice, even me. And so I truly believe that law enforcement agencies, even school curriculums and state attorney's offices around the country should implement robust racial and implicit bias training programs. Um, I truly believe that you can't be the next state attorney of any circuit uh, if you don't fundamentally understand that we have a criminal justice system that has historically been stacked against people of color and poor people. And so I have a plan of uh, going in and, and, and ensuring that we institute policies and practices uh, that comport with those principles and the basic principles of justice, fairness, and equality. Harold Pryor, Jr., we're very glad you could join us, and uh, we wish you luck with your campaign. Thank you so, much. so much. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to coming back. You, got you it. will. <laughs> the primary race for Broward Sheriff was one of the most contentious on the ballot, with Gregory Tony keeping his chance to go on to November. So does his Republican opponent have a chance in a predominantly Democratic county? You're going to hear from him next. The most notable and newsworthy primary race in Broward on Tuesday was between Sheriff Gregory Tony and former Sheriff Scott Israel, both Democrats. The incumbent Sheriff Tony won the primary. He now faces the Republican candidate for sheriff in November, and that candidate is H. Wayne Clark, an attorney who is with us today from Plantation. Good morning, sir. Great to see you. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. So you, you interviewed with our local 10 this week and said, quote, we need to take politics out of it because that's what led us to the mess we're in now. But, Mr. Clark, this is an election. You cannot take <laughs> politics out of it. What did you mean by that? Well, look, I, what I'm saying is, um, obviously, this is an elected position. I believe that it should be a nonpartisan position. I truly believe that. I've, I've echoed that from day one. Uh, but what I'm talking about is taking politics out of BSO and, and how the agency is run. In, in the last few administrations, from the last administration to the current administration, it's run by politics. And politics dictate uh, what's going on at the agency. It dictates hiring. It dictates promotions. And it's dictated how the agency's run. And that makes Broward County less safe. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about taking politics out of BSO. Uh, Mr. Clark, in that same interview with Local 10, I believe on Tuesday or Wednesday morning, uh, I heard you say something to the effect that you know more about the law governing law enforcement than anybody currently at BSO, and you would bring that expertise to the office. And I thought to myself, well, gee, that's a, that, that's a real plus. On the other hand, the person who really should know more about law, uh, governing law enforcement, is the general counsel, the top lawyer for that office. Now, you're not running to be general counsel. You're running to be the sheriff, but you are not, in fact, a sworn law enforcement officer. That, 
might seem to be a problem for some people. Well, look, the, the chief law enforcement officer in Broward County, right? So the, the, I'm running based on my military, my business, and my legal experience. As the chief law enforcement officer, you have to know the law to be able to enforce the law. We have a current administration that doesn't seem to understand the law, or if he does, he doesn't seem to want to enforce it against himself. So what I'm saying is, is you know, look, Broward has a long history of having people serve as the Broward sheriff that are not sworn law enforcement officers. Also, the BSO budget, the law enforcement aspect of it, only makes up 22%. BSO is so much larger and bigger than law enforcement. It's the, the airport, the seaport, detention, which is the jails, the law enforcement, fire, EMS, call centers, mental health, community outreach programs. So it's time to take uh, a leader to come in and run all aspects of the agency and not just one. So detail that. That's uh, let's really get into some some detail there. What what is not being done right now that you would specifically change? So so look right now, you know, and Gregory Tony said this in, in one of the forums about a month ago, and he said that he has promoted. He, he acknowledged that we don't have a real human resources department there. So going in day one, I'm going to put people in the right place to help make BSO function better. And what's important about human resources, that helps us with the hiring process, that helps us with the training process, that helps us handle and manage the employees and, and the men and women of the agency. So we need to do that. We also need to bring the morale back to BSO. Right now, morale is at an all-time low. There's no denying it. We've had two votes of no confidence. And it's time to show the men and women of the agency that they have a leader that cares about them, that cares about that they're treated equally and fairly, and that the community is treated equally and fairly. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Clark, one of the issues it would seem for Gregory Tony, uh, one of the knocks on him, is that he really does not have any kind of a relationship with the union that represents road deputies and sergeants. They voted the vote of no confidence, which you noted. Uh, and Jeff Bell, in fact, has been suspended after he criticized Gregory Tony, if you were elected, if you are elected sheriff, would you try to establish uh, a relationship with that union and its leader? 100%. I, I've had communications with Mr. Bell uh, throughout the entire time that I've been running. Look, he, here's, here's where Gregory Tony went wrong. On day one, he didn't pick up the phone and he didn't reach out to everyone that, that leads the unions and try to have a conversation. Day one for me, Complete opposite. Day one, I'm going to have a meeting. Everybody's going to come to the table. Look, we're not always going to agree. We're not always going to see eye to eye. I'm not looking to make friends. I'm looking to run BSO in an efficient way that makes Broward County safe. So day one, and, and today, it's 500 or whatever days it is, Gregory Tony still has not picked up the phone and had those, those kind of conversations. And, and that's just, that's an egotistical issue. I'm going to check my ego at the door and I'm going to have those conversations to make sure that Broward County is safe. One of the things, well, the, the entire reason that Gregory Tony came to be Broward Sheriff rests with the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High. And much of what Sheriff Tony did, at least at the very beginning, was really focus on school safety. I wonder if you would weigh in on, has he done a good job on that? What would you do better? And are, are Broward schools safe from, from shooters as far as you're concerned? 
Well, look, there's no doubt there was a lack of training from the prior administration. There's no doubt that there were breakdowns in communications from the last administration. What Gregory Tony came in and, and he's made a bunch of promises, but look, okay, you can have all the training in the world, which is great. I fully support training. I fully support active shooter training. What I would like to see is more focus on mental health and more focus on helping uh, address the issues with the students in school. I have an advisory board. One of the gentlemen on my advisory board was intimately involved with MSD, the investigation in the Broward School Board and, and the inner workings of that. And he told me that there are a number of individuals still in the Broward County school system with the same identifiers as the murderer who committed the murder at MSD. So we need to work on addressing those issues. We need to work on how to fix those issues. Mental health is a large aspect of how you help address those, those, those particular issues. H. Wayne Clark, candidate for Broward County Sheriff, Republican. We are grateful for your time this morning and we'll follow the campaign closely. Thank you very much for your time. I truly appreciate it and I hope you all stay safe. God Thank bless. You. Thank you. Another winner in this week's primary, a more diverse state legislature, including a senator-elect about to make history. Sharon Jones is with us next. With an impressive primary win and barring only token write-in opposition, South Florida lawmaker Chevron Jones of West Park is now on track to become Florida's first openly gay black state senator. And despite some ugly personal attacks and despite battling COVID during the campaign, Jones beat five other candidates with almost 43% of that district vote. Chevron Jones here via Skype with us. How you feeling? Hey, Chevron, how good. are you? Hey, I feel good, Michael and Glenda. Good to see you all. Well, we're glad to see you. Glad you're over COVID. You beat COVID and a rather ugly smear campaign. So you were running uh, against a couple of things here. So, uh, good victory. Yeah, well, very good victory. And it was just, just clear that the people of Senate District 35 uh, made it clear that uh, one's gender, sexual preference, or anything else should not be determining a factor on whether or not you're qualified to lead. And they spoke uh, loudly about that. Yeah, well, we should point out that you have been a very effective, I believe, member of the State House of Representatives for, what, the last six years or so? Um, yeah. And, and it, I think everybody there was quite aware of your sexual orientation, did not in any way limit your effectiveness, as far as I can tell. What about the state Senate? It's uh, 40 members, uh, kind of a smaller collegial club. Uh, what's the situation there? Well, you know what, um, Michael, I spoke, had the opportunity to speak with uh, Senate President Wilton Simpson uh, as he called to congratulate me on, on my win. Uh, and in his words, he's looking forward to the Senate chambers becoming um, more diverse and us having these tough conversations and how we can move the state of Florida forward and then potentially move this country forward and let people know that uh, it's, a, it's a new day and uh, how we lead and making sure that that's what we're looking at. You know, people's leadership qualities, how can we help people with, with their health care and their family? Those are the most important issues. You know, you have been at the forefront. First of all, let me tell you, in this time of Skyping during COVID, you need to turn down your volume because we hear that reverberation. <laughs> Thanks for that. So, so you have been on the forefront of something that's bubbled up that has been a decades-long issue. The FDA, when it, when it comes to donating blood or plasma, has restrictions on gay men who they do not allow to donate 
going back to the HIV crisis in the 80s, and you experienced that when you tried to donate plasma. Uh, we have talked about how this is more discrimination than it is science, and I wonder if, if you would weigh in on that for us today. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that the uh, what we have seen over the years, uh, since the 1980s of those policies that have been put in place by FDA, it's clear that uh, it's time for us to move in the direction with the technology that we currently have uh, to make sure that our main focus is saving lives. And I believe you know, we have enough technology uh, to make sure that that's the direction that we're moving in uh, with the amount of people who are looking for plasma to, to be able to help them uh, in the age of COVID that we're in. That's where we should be putting our focus in. When people want to put their uh, put give another person a fighting chance, uh, we should allow those people to do it and test the blood as such to make sure that all we're doing is saving a life. Uh, Chef, it appears that you are part of a kind of a trend line in Florida politics. Three members of the legislature who had steadfastly opposed any kind of uh, LGBTQ legislation, they lost their elections. Uh, one of your opponents was former state senator Daphne Campbell, who had also voted against any kind of uh, that bill as well. Uh, are we seeing a more enlightened era with voters? Uh, and do you think that the the message of, you know, don't discriminate uh, against gay people in public life? I mean, is this more, uh, is this really coming to pass? Is this a, a reality? Well, I think I think people are coming to a place to where they are sick of the the hate and the bigotry that's being spewed from the White House, that's being spewed um, in our communities. And uh, I go back to what I said in the beginning that people are looking for these individuals who are prepared to leave. Uh, some of the things that I went through in my campaign, I mean, me as a people totally, uh, my I don't know. If, uh, my opponents who were who was doing it forgot. Yeah, I'm, I'm a human being also, and some of that stuff was extremely hurtful. I have a family that love me. I have friends uh, who love me, and I think that people are sick of that. Uh, and people are are they're asking the one question: Can you lead us during this difficult time that we're in? And I think that's what we're seeing, not just in Florida, but we're seeing that across this country. Uh, that people are saying, "Lead my family." Lead us to a better place in healthcare. Lead us into a better place in education. Lead us in a better place with police and community relations. That's what I want. I don't care what you're doing in your personal life. I want you to see, can you help me enhance the personal life of myself and my family? Which one of those goes first in your first day as a state senator? I believe the police relations and into our community because it is a huge deal in which we're dealing with right now within this country. And my uh, District 35 has spoken loudly that they want to see better policies in how we are how our police are communicating with our communities. Uh, I think it's going to be a very hot topic in Tallahassee, along with unemployment, because that is something that is real right now. Uh, but people want to know what are you going to do to fight for us and to fight for my son when he's out there on that street, or my daughter when she. Uh, is being questioned by an officer. People want to know, are you going to fight for those issues? And the answer is resoundingly yes in my book. Chevron Jones, always a pleasure to speak with you. Congratulations again. The essentially state senator-elect in District 35, and uh, we, we wish you well. Thank and we'll you so be, much. And we'll be watching. <laughs> Take care. Thank <laughs> you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As always, we are grateful you have chosen to spend time with us here on a Sunday. Remember, we are always online 24-7 at local10.com. And remember, in this election cycle, Local 10 News is your place to go 
for all the latest political news, especially beginning on This Week in South Florida. Remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a beautiful Sunday. Thank <laughs> you.